0: Of all the questions that trouble the people of God, none is greater than the question I'm going to pose with the title of this message, Why Does God Allow Pain and Suffering? Sometimes that question is asked in other ways, like, Why do bad things happen to good people? Or, Why do the wicked prosper while the righteous take such a beating? Or, If God really has the power to stop human suffering, why doesn't he use it? Now, eventually, those questions become very personal. Like, why did my husband leave me after 15 years? Why did God allow my daughter to die in a car wreck? Or, if God is good, how could he let my closest friend suddenly have a heart attack or cancer or a miscarriage? And on and on. Several years ago, researcher George Barna did a survey on this topic. He asked, if you could ask God just one question, what would it be? The number one response was, why is there pain and suffering In the world? Now I'm not surprised because this is one of the oldest questions in the world. One writer called it the question mark that turns like a fish hook in the human heart. It is the greatest theological problem you and I face and although it's always been there, accidents happen, cancer invades, disaster strikes, and suddenly the question comes front and center and every crisis brings us face to face with this difficult issue. Interestingly, the question of suffering is the number one argument for atheism. Most people who have given up believing in God do so, not because of some philosophical argument, but because their hearts were broken by something that happened to them or to someone they loved. And that's the whole case against God, kind of in a nutshell. If God is all-powerful and could have stopped the suffering but didn't, then he isn't good. If he is good and wants to stop the suffering, it must mean that he lacks the power. Now, either way, people say, I don't want to believe in a God like that, so they just plain simple don't. Now, what answer do we, as Christ followers, give? Now, I realize that the greatest minds in history have wrestled with this question of suffering ever since the beginning of time. And I'm going to be real honest with you that I cannot begin to give a complete answer in just one 30-minute message, because there are so many parts to a truly biblical response. Instead, I'm going to offer what seems to me to lie at the heart of the Christian's response. I'm going to start with one inadequate answer. And that inadequate answer is this, pain and suffering have no purpose. Now, many people look at the tragedies of life and just conclude that they have no purpose at all. I mean, just stuff happens, bad stuff happens, terrible things happen, calamity comes to all of us. It's just a chance or luck or fate. Now, I'll be honest with you, I cannot imagine a more hopeless philosophy in life. It explains nothing. Indeed, it suggests that there's no explanation for the suffering we see all around us. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament after being sold into slavery by his brothers when they met again after many years, helps put it into perspective when he said in Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. In other words, he said there was a purpose. Let me give you one partially adequate answer. And this is what's known as the free will argument. When asked about why God allows disasters, most Christians, uh, including myself, kind of revert to some version of this argument. And it goes something like this. When asked why God created a world filled with hurricanes and pain and suffering and death, the free will argument answers that God did not create a world that way. When God created the world, he made it perfect in every way. There were no hurricanes in the Garden of Eden. There weren't any looters there either. No suffering people waiting for days for help to arrive. And no one died there either. The pain and suffering we see all all around us did not come from God, So, the question is, how did things get so messed up? Well, the answer goes back to Adam and Eve. God gave them the choice, in other words, the freedom to obey him and so be blessed, or to disobey and be punished. unfortunately, they made the wrong choice, and as a result, sin and its attendant suffering entered the spiritual DNA of the human race. Genesis 3 also notes that creation itself was kind of placed under a curse by God because of Adam's death. Death entered for the very first time. Pain and suffering became man's constant companion. Paradise gained became paradise lost. Instead of the lion and the lamb lying down together, the lion became the lamb's mortal enemy. That's why in Romans chapter 8, it says that all creation literally groans in the present age, waiting for the day of redemption. See, Adam's sin did not just impact him, it touched all of us. In Romans chapter 5, 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because <clears throat> all sinned. Now, you might ask yourself, what does this have to do with you and me? Well, in some mysterious way, you and I were actually there in the Garden of Eden. When Adam sinned, you sinned with him, and so did I. That's called the doctrine of original sin in its very plainest form. It means that when Adam sinned, (coughs) you sinned. When Adam disobeyed, you disobeyed. When Adam fell, you fell. When Adam died, you died. To say it another way, although we were not there historically, In the garden, because we are descendants of Adam, part of his family tree, we suffer the consequences of what he did. I want you to imagine for a moment a school bus with everyone, enough seats for every person on planet Earth. Now, such a bus would be thousands and thousands of miles long. And let's suppose that Adam is the driver of this bus of humanity. And when he drove the bus over the cliff of disobedience, We all went over with him, and we all ended up crushed and broken on the rocks of God's judgment. See, the world is the way that it is because we humans messed up. Even the hurricanes and the tsunamis and the deadly earthquakes would not exist were it not for human sin. And certainly human sin accounts for the violence and the mayhem that we see all around us. And human sin explains our tendency towards hatred and unkindness and lust and the critical spirit and racism and selfishness and greed and our willingness to point the finger and blame others for our own problems. But you know this argument of free will is biblical and it's true and useful as far as it goes. Indeed, I've fallen back and used this argument myself many times because it does make sense to most people. But the argument, I think, does not go far enough. By putting so much emphasis on our free will, it ends up sounding as if God has given over the complete control of this universe to man. And you end up with an unbiblical dichotomy that puts pain and suffering on one end of the spectrum. And God on the other end of the spectrum, it leaves the impression that God is way over here just kind of washing his hands of our problems on planet Earth and says, okay, you guys messed it up. Let's see you guys try to clean it up. But friends, any solution to the problem of human suffering that separates God from human suffering cannot possibly be right. You end up saying things like Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Joaquin or the shootings in Oregon or any number of other things are terrible disasters that serve no higher purpose. And if you keep pushing in that direction, you end up with something very much like the first answer, that there is no purpose to the tragedies of life. The free will answer is very useful, but something else needs to be added to it. It comes. It's an answer you must not miss. Now, two weeks ago, I was at Angola Prison, teaching again. It's the largest maximum security prison in America. And I had a conversation with an inmate who's serving a life sentence. He's been at Angola now for 17 years. He's only 35 years old. He looks like he's about 18. Now, he told me about how he lost everything when Hurricane Katrina... Hit New Orleans. Gone was the only home that he'd ever known and his entire family either died in that storm or just disappeared from his life. When I expressed my sadness over his situation, the pain and the suffering that he'd experienced, he put his arm around me and he said with a smile on his face, don't worry, Doc, God is all over that situation. Can you believe that? He went on to say, I I may not be able to see it or feel it or figure it out, but God has been all over every situation in my life. The good, the bad, the happy, the sad, the positive, the negative. He's always there, always present, always working on his plan. And part of his plan was to bring me here to this prison so we could meet face to face because I had nowhere else to run. Just think about that. God is is all over that situation. That means that nothing can happen to us that does not first pass through his loving hands. That includes hurricanes and shootings and cancers and miscarriages and whatever. This does not transform any of that stuff from bad things into good things, but it does mean that they do not and cannot exist apart from God. See, every once in a while, as a pastor... Generally, after I have been called on to deal with the pain and the suffering in other people's lives, I have had a conversation with the Lord about these heartaches. It usually kind of goes something like this. The Lord says to me, Barry, it's pretty evident that you don't like what I just did. And my reply is, no, I don't. Then God says, you think I made a mistake. And my response is, yeah, as a matter of fact, I think Yeah, you do. See, now, the Lord never seems to be bothered by my opinions like that. He already knows how I feel about things. And so I often hear him say, do you think I should have asked your advice in advance? And I would probably reply, yes, and if you had, I would have told you to do something different here. And then comes this kind of reply again, Barry, that's why I did not ask you in advance. I already knew how you felt. Keep this in mind. I did what I did for my own reasons, and I did it without consulting you, so you'd know that I take full responsibility for what happened. Now, conversations kind of like that in my prayer time have been a great comfort. I find it easy to worship a God who can suddenly and without warning do things that make no sense at all to me. I mean, only an almighty God gives and takes life, rides the storm, sends prosperity and trouble, answers my prayers, and then leaves me absolutely speechless and confused, all without feeling any need to explain himself to me. See, the mystery of it all ends up building my faith. I mean, why would I want to worship a God that I could fully understand? In Romans 11, it says, How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Now, where does all of that leave us? Well, the answer is, we're all still hurting. We all still have a death-sentence generation living in a sin-cursed world. We all hurt every day. No one is immune from the sufferings of humanity. All of us live in the wreckage of that school bus that Adam drove over the cliff. We live with pain and sadness and suffering every day. There is no escape from that reality. And when those things happen, when we hurt, when we wonder why, when life is full of pain, we are brought down to the two choices in life. Number one, we can either hurt with God or we can hurt without him. Pioneer visionary Hudson Taylor founded the China Inland Mission to reach the multitudes of Chinese people who had never heard the gospel back the turn of the century. Now, during the terrible days of the Boxer Rebellion in the early 1900s, when missionaries were captured and tortured and killed, he went through such an agony of soul that he said he could not pray. He summarized this condition when he said, I can't read, I can't think, I can't pray, but I can trust. Friends, I'm going to tell you, there are going to be times when we just can't bring ourselves to read the scriptures. Sometimes we won't be able to focus our thoughts on God at all. There are going to be times when we're not even going to be able to formulate a prayer. But in those moments when we can't do anything else, we can still trust in the loving purposes of our Heavenly Father. See, there is one final piece we must add to this puzzle of human suffering. We often say that God is able to take the very worst that happens and bring the very best out of it. We utter those words with such confidence, but what do they mean in the face of suffering for so many people? I mean, how do we know that God can do that? My answer is, look at the cross. For here is the final piece in the puzzle. This is the ultimate proof that God does not stand aloof from the suffering of this world. Over 2,000 years ago, he left the glories of heaven For the indignity of a borrowed stable. He gave up eternal life to be born in eternal darkness. He walked out of the ivory palaces and entered a world of woe. Very simply, He joined us. He became one of us. He walked where we walk. He lived where we lived. He joined us in our sorrows. He joined us in our pain. He entered into our humiliation. He suffered when we suffer. And what did we do? We hung Him on a cross. We screamed at him, we mocked him, we beat him, we laughed at him, and then we watched him die. God is no bystander, friends, to human suffering. He died the same way we die. But here is God's final answer to the problem of pain and suffering. He joined our race. He took on our nature. He entered our world. He ate with us. He drank with us. He walked and he talked with us and he dwelt among us full of grace and truth. He didn't simply die with us. He died for us. And then he came back from the dead. See, when he rose from the dead, he reversed the curse, he broke the chains, he tore down the bars, he set in motion a chain of events that will one day mean an end to all of the hurricanes and the cancer and the suffering and all of the pain that plague us and drag us down. It helps us to remember that we didn't deserve anything he did for us. Ever since Adam drove the bus off the cliff, Death and destruction have been our common fate. But Jesus came with what I'd call a heavenly tow truck to pull the bus out of the Valley of Judgment and put us back on the road to heaven. Friends, the cross sends a message from God to this world. I will never stop loving you. The suffering of the world is great, but the love of Christ is greater still. We can't escape this suffering. It comes to all of us again and again, but we must not stop there. The road continues on from our pain to the loving arms of Jesus. God's answer to your pain and your suffering is not a sermon or a theory or a book you need to read. God's answer to your to your pain is a person. God's answer is Jesus. And Jesus is there in the lowest times of our life. Are you broken? He was broken too like bread for you. Are you de- despised? Well, he was despised and rejected of men. Did you cry out that you can't take it anymore? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Did somebody betray you? Jesus was sold out. Are your most tender relationships broken? Well, he loved and he was rejected. Did people turn from you? Well, it said they hid their faces from him like he was a leper. Does he descend into all of our hells? Yes, he does. From the depths of the Nazi death camp, Cory Ten Boom wrote these words, No matter how deep our darkness, he is deeper still. In other words, every tear we shed becomes his tear. A friend of mine recently told me, You know, it's not just that God knows and sympathizes in all of your troubles. After all, any close friend can do that. Any close friend can sit across the table from you and comfort you and empathize with you. But Jesus is much closer than your closest friend because if you put your trust in him, then he is literally in you. And therefore, your sufferings are his sufferings. Your sorrow is his sorrow. So when tragedy strikes, as it will, when suffering comes, and it will, when you're wrestling with the pain, and you will, and when you make the choice to run into his arms, here's what you're going to discover. You're going to find peace to deal with the present. You're going to find courage to deal with the future. And you'll find incredible promise of eternal life in heaven. Friends, in this sin-scarred world, we never know when pain and suffering will come knocking. Often we, we don't get any warning, so the question I'm compelled to ask you right now is going to sound odd. The question is, how is your Yet. There's a great verse to tuck away, memorize, and to hang on to. It's Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. It says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, here it is, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Friends, the cross sends a message from God. That message is, I'll never stop loving you. The suffering of the world is great, but the love of Christ is greater still. We cannot escape it. It comes to all of us again and again, but we must not stop there. The road on, from our path continues to the arms of Jesus. So I'm saying if today, if you are hurting, run to the cross. If you are doubting, run to the cross. If you're in pain, run to the cross. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you that Jesus is our good shepherd and is there to comfort and strengthen in times of suffering, sadness, pain, and loss. Thank you that your rod and staff sustain us and keep us no matter what season of life we're passing through and no matter how difficult the times become. We praise you, O Lord, for you are a strong tower, and whose everlasting arms we flee for protection and safety. For you have pledged to uphold us with your right hand, the right hand of your righteousness. Thank you that in the midst of suffering and distress you have undertaken never to leave us nor forsake us, and when we face times of loneliness and isolation your promised grace is sufficient to carry us through. Lord, we know that as your child we are indeed blessed and to be able to rest in you as our daily companion, our faithful comforter, and our wise counselor. Thank you for bringing us to this point in our life and for so patiently teaching us the lesson of your never-failing faithfulness. Use us, we pray, to give like comfort, companionship, and counsel to other lonely and lost who also need the strength of their good and faithful shepherd. And continue, we pray, to uphold and teach us more of your comfort and strength, your grace and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.